Here we are with another week of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. As always, my name is Alon. And I'm still Ara, I think. Now, uh, we have a website. It's chatterboxgameshow.com. You can email us there. Have we gotten any emails lately? We have. We actually have a letter today from our good old uh, friend Joe. Joe, he writes to us a lot. He he does. He does do that. He I also, also talked to him on Facebook. Yeah. He also likes to um, leave off like the last letter in a lot of words. For some reason, just just takes the last letter off. Yeah, I haven't noticed that in my dealings with him. Yeah, have I have I told you about like the long like instead of saying you'll be like saying. Oh, I see what you're. I see what you're getting at. I was gonna say I see what you're saying. A little little bit of that Philadelphia slang, I guess. Have I told you about the the in depth thread I had with him and another friend on Facebook? um, Well, another friend of his about why the Wii U will fail. Much to my chagrin. They're, they're telling you that it'll fail? No. You're telling them it'll fail. So he, Joe's talking about how he's excited about it, and his friend is talking about how he won't you know, put any money towards it and how Nintendo has failed him and he doesn't trust them anymore. And then I give a valid argument about why it's actually not a piece of crap, but why it's still going to fail. Well, you don't have to trust Nintendo. You can play somebody else's and decide if you like it or not without having to take Nintendo's work. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the easy solution. I think he's, what he's talking about is, you know, looking down down the road at what actually is going to come out. I lost my trust in games decades ago. It, it didn't take the Wii to do it? No. I lost my trust in games when I was, like, 14 and was trying to buy an import Super Famicom game at Game Dude in Van Nuys in California. Someone had the balls to call their shop Game Dudes? Game Dude. Game dude. Game dude, yeah. And um, and I was asking this guy, hey, is that game any good? And he's like, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's really good. Okay, I'll buy it. Piece of crap, piece of shit, garbage game he sold me. What, do you yeah. don't remember what it is? Yeah, it was, just, it was just really, it was this, it was a game called Musha, which is not, um, I mean, nobody will know anyway. M-U-S-H-A. Yeah, it was spelled like M-U-S-Y-A, though. Okay. In, in the romanization. It was this platforming game that, like, you know, because that was back in the day when I had, like, a hard-on for import games. And, you know, I, I saw, like, screenshots of this. And I was like, wow, this looks really cool. And, um, yeah, it kind of looked cool. But that was about it. Okay. And um, I, th- I think I may remember that. I was very I was very upset. I was very upset, but also naive to, to trust the game dude clerks. Um, advice. So, well, I'm sorry that happened to you. Well, that, you know, that must have been a, a difficult time. Some of us, a some of us, time. learn our lessons early in life, and some of us learn our lessons later in life. I, I suspect that's true. So, anyway, in this thread, I'm, I'm fairly certain I brought it up in an earlier show, but I just I don't think I went into detail about it. But I, I realized that the reason the Wii U is going to fail is because they have no real network support. Like, not when compared to what's out there right now with Xbox Live, which means they're not going to get the American market because Americans want... Really? You think the networking stuff is that important? Yeah, because, I mean, in order to to get a lot of people playing, you need to have a lot of people who want to play. And the way you get a lot of people wanting to play is by getting their friends to play with you. Well, I'll definitely agree that it's um, it can be a huge component and also a huge way to get people. But at the same time, right, there's stuff like Skyrim, which is totally one player, and you know, that stuff sells like hotcakes. I mean, that's true. Yeah, yeah I think, but I, I think Nintendo just wants you to be to network in your own room. I see with it. The people who are already in that room. I, I see it as incapable of being. Sus- truly successful with the American hardcore audience if they can't get a first-person shooter done properly. And you can't do that with the network infrastructure that they have right now. But Nintendo doesn't want to go down the road of first-person shooters. They want to have family fun. That's that's not true. They want anybody to buy their system. I mean, Black Ops 2 is uh, a launch title, was a launch title for the Wii U. And I mean... I'm kind of speaking out of my ass because I don't know what the, the network infrastructure like is for specific games or if they allow it to be different. But in general, like right. you can't just match with a friend on the Wii U without both of you knowing who you are. And that's kind of a key component. Like I don't 
I don't know who all the people are out there, but if I wanted to to play a game with all of our listeners, I wouldn't be able to do it unless they all emailed me and said, hey, I tried to friend you. Here's my name. You should friend me too. Right. You have to, you don't get notified when someone friends you. And without that sort of matchmaking service set up, they aren't going to get like the popularity that, that you get with Xbox Live of these all of these games that people want to play with each other. And if that doesn't happen, the system's not going to be successful with that audience. And that's why it's just, it's going to go the same route as the Wii with a bunch of success with kids and therefore a bunch of shovelware. Yeah, that, that I fully expect. Actually, all of those things that you just said. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I feel bad because I know that's going to happen. And I just hope that a few companies make a few good games and uh, I can eke out some entertainment out of this thing since well, I know it's certainly capable of producing fun. You may be feeling bad, but I'm feeling really good. Do you know why I'm feeling really good? No. It's because uh, this Wednesday, which is in, in two days from when we're talking right the second, um, I'm going to be giving a Gigantomundus speech at our uh, next IGNA meeting here in Phoenix. Now, you've done this at least once before, right? Yeah, I do it about once a year, give or take. Okay. Maybe twice a year. I, f- I feel like you've done one recently. Am I confusing it with another session somewhere? No, you're confusing um, recently with um, 14 months ago. Oh, uh, that's certainly possible. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm thinking I might actually get to see it this time because I've never seen you give a talk before. I would Yeah, I would love for you to be there. And I are we, is, this, is this recording even going to be up in time for people to find out about it? Who, yeah, yeah. yeah this will so. be up in time. If anybody is listening to this you know, soon after release... They can they can attend. Yeah. So um, here's what we'll do. We'll put the announcement up in the description. How about that? There's a the link to the announcement of the IGDA meeting up in the description. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, I can do that. So that so we can. Um, so if you're in Phoenix and you want to hear me talk and you listen to this uh, before 7 p.m. on Wednesday, um, then you can totally come see me talk and uh, bring your A game because I. One of the things I love doing with talks is just, like, being very conversational about it. You know, this isn't going to be about me, like, just speaking to everybody. I like to have a conversation. So we'll have a conversation. And actually, like, today I also want to talk about, like, some of the stuff that's very, very related to what I'll be talking about. My talk is going to be about depth in gameplay. Okay. We've talked about that on the show before. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's a lot of angles you can go down, right? Yeah. Um, but like for example, right? Like here's one like here's a related thing that constantly pisses me off, right? When people talk about like for example, like difficulty in games, right? You mean like the difficulty setting? Like or? no, like how hard a game is, right? Okay. Or or basically like their experience in the game in terms of like how hard it was or how challenging it was, right? Like people always seem to talk about that as if difficulty is this one-dimensional continuum, right? In other words, it's either easy or it's hard or it's in the middle and that's it, right? But that's like a very, very intellectually dishonest way to approach that topic because the thing is is that things that we encounter in games that we find like easy or hard, especially the ones that we find hard, right? There can be lots of different reasons why something is hard. And you have to, in order to be able to talk about this meaningfully, you have to understand what that context is. For example, okay, let's like, what's a really hard game that you've played that you say, oh, this is really hard? Uh, the, the last level of Rayman Origins. Okay, yes, that's true. The one that uh, I really enjoyed watching you go <laughs> yeah. through all the trouble to finish. Yeah, that one. Um. So, like, here's the thing, right? I mean, and, and this could be, like, the, this exact topic is actually, that exact um, example isn't actually as important. But, um, for example, right, like, something can be hard because um, you know what to do, but you just can't execute it. You don't have, like, the dexterity to do it, right? That's one way something can be hard. But something else can be hard in a different way where, for example, uh, you have no idea what's going on and you're confused, right? Like, you don't know how... You don't know what to do. Like, that's a different kind of hard, right? It's still hard, but you can't call it the same thing, right? Because it's a very different feeling, right? Or yet a different way something can be hard. You could say that, um, you know, maybe the game misled you about how something works. And that's why it's hard. Because you had an expectation that something in the game worked this way. 
and it actually works the other way, right? Like one example that I'm going to use in my talk in two days is um, in Spelunky, right? You remember Spelunky. Oh, I remember Spelunky. Yeah. So they've got these spikes in Spelunky, okay? And you see a spike on the screen, right? And, you know, in, Sp- in Spelunky or any game. And, like, what is that, like, what do you, what does that tell you when you see a spike on the screen? In general or in Spelunky? Well, let's, let's say that you're, because you may already know what I'm about to get at. But, like, let's say you just see a spike in a game, any game. You I mean, never played it before. Normally, I would think if I touch that spike, I'm going to get hurt. Yes, right? And this is actually, like, in most cases, this is how it works in Spelunky, right? Because the thing, right, like, it's all about symbology and feedback about games, right? And this is this has, well, we'll get into the depth part later. But the thing is, like, the spike is a symbol, and they use that symbology to communicate, oh, this is dangerous, right? But the spike in Spelunky does not work the same way that spike that you would expect does. Because the thing is, is that you can, like, if you fall from above and hit it, you, right, you die. Yep. But you can actually approach it from the side and walk right through it, which... It's actually a more realistic. I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of like... Um, Usually, though, you're right. You walk sideways into a spike in a video game. Yeah, everything about the symbology they use tells you that no matter where you're going to touch this, it's going to be dangerous. But it's not true at all. And the thing, the thing that's insidious about that is that you would never – like there's nothing in the game to even give you a hint or a clue that like will try walking into it from the side, right? Like you would never actually do that on your own because it's so clearly conveying to you that it's dangerous even from the side. But I think, I think that's tribal knowledge. I think if you started fresh, you might try it. No, because the spike's not touching you. No, because the spike, like if you look at the graphic, act like even it even has spiky parts on its like right and left side. We'll argue more in a minute. Chatterboxers. How much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. And we're back. You're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Where we talk about spikes. And, yeah. and sponsors. Yes, this is true. University of Advanced Technology sponsors this show. Their website is uat.edu, and we want you to go there. Enjoy that. And as usual, we have our f- special voice message line where you can leave us a voice message, and um, if it uh, passes all of the qualification tests, then we'll, we'll play it on the air. And that's uh, 480-442-6321, right? Four game 21. Call us, leave us a message, speak English, and um, you could be famous. Okay, so in talking about spikes, I want to relay a story Okay. Uh, from, I want to say many years ago. I'm trying to remember when. I think I was in college yeah. when Ocarina of Time released. Okay. Now, I have had a tough time with Zelda games since they went 3D. Uh, you're not the only person. Yeah. Now, but I'm ashamed to admit it. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I, I had a hard time with that, too. There are extremely simple elements of the game that I've just totally not gotten. And I made this this realization one time. So there's there's a part in Ocarina of Time where you're in a cave. It's probably many parts, right? But there's specifically a part where in order to for a door to open up so that you can continue on, you have to set some torches on fire, you know, from just being not lit to being lit. Um, and the way you do that is by grabbing a stick walking around at the stick in such a way that it, the stick you're carrying gets lit by a tor- some other torch so that you can then carry the flame 
from your stick to the other torches. I have a feeling I know where you're going with this. Now, I'll, I'll, before you continue, I want to preface that, like, yeah, I remember that a bunch of things in that Zelda game, for some reason or another, were incredibly obtuse to me. But keep going. So, I had no idea how to get past this area. And it's, I don't remember if it was like a friend showed me or I just gave up. And then later in life, like a year later, I saw someone do it. I don't know. Uh, but what I know is I couldn't figure this out. And the reason I couldn't figure it out was because I was so stuck in my head about things I'd learned throughout the last 15 years of playing video games that I didn't think something so realistic as carrying my stick over and just being close enough to a torch, it would just light on fire. And then I could walk it over to this other torch and light that on fire. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's For some it reason, it just it seemed too much like real life for right. that to work. Like it wasn't a triggered event or it wasn't like it was just too real. And I think of Zelda now and I was like, no, it's not. Obviously, it's not real. Yeah, the whole game actually, is realistic. That's actually the exact same thing I talked about in my talk last year when I, um, and, you know, I, I made up this word called cognitive baggage, which is what this is what you're experiencing, right? You brought your baggage from past games or past experiences and how you think and expect they should work to yeah. this game. And it totally didn't match up with uh, the way it actually did. I work just thought the there's there's no way that they made something so real uh, that. You know that, that that would actually be necessary. I would have, I have to do something else. I have to shoot a flaming arrow at the torch. I have to do some other thing right. to get it to light. And it turns out, nope. You just like walk over with a stick. Just walk and now it seems silly. Yeah. It just seems uh, no big deal, right? Yeah. That's that's commonplace. But at the time, it was too much for me to handle, and I couldn't figure it out. And I, so much so that I didn't even try it. And that's what I'm when I talk about the spikes. Yeah. We've played so many games with spikes that it right. totally makes sense to me. Let's say I was in a cave right. and there was I don't remember stalagmite. I think stalagmite is the one on the floor and stalactite is on the ceiling. Whatever. The one on the floor, yeah. I can walk right by it and not get hurt. But if I fall from five feet up onto the stick on the ground, yeah. or the spike on the ground, yeah, uh, yeah I'm going to get hurt. So it makes sense that you could walk by it sideways. It really does. But in, in some contexts, right? But I think the way that Spelunky presents it, like. It really seems pretty flippin' obvious that, like, you shouldn't be able to do that, and yet you can. But I see, and I claim it's totally cognitive baggage. It, to use your term, it makes sense to me yeah. that you could well, go well, sideways, maybe it but does. And every other game you walk sideways into a spike that's pointing up, and you do get hurt. Yeah, so, well, see, here's the interesting thing. Um, I mean, it really could go, kind of go either way, right? But the short of it and the long of it is that you know, in, in that example, right, like the symbology that they chose is just not – it's not ideal and not for everybody because everyone's going to kind of interpret things a little differently, right? But your job as a game designer is to figure out a way to convey things that are sufficiently clear so that as many people as reasonable, right, like will get the same – We'll basically get the same information, impression about how it works, and hopefully that that's the, you know, that's the accurate impression too. Okay, I, I think it's funny that you were mentioning Ocarina of Time because there was I had the same problem, but not with the uh, sticks and the the fire. I had the same problem with the um, those those jars and the fairies. There was like I couldn't figure out like what to do to either like catch the fairy in a jar or like release the fairy from a jar or something like that. Okay. Right. I don't even remember what you do have to do. I don't remember exactly, so I'm not going to dwell on it. Right. But there's just something about that that was totally obtuse that like once somebody showed me what to do, I'm like, oh, that's really retarded. Right. And, and incredibly simple. And I can't believe I didn't do try that. Right. But. I was so sure that, like, before the fact that, like, that wasn't an option that, yeah, I just I just never tried it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess you and I have the same failures. Well, see, here's the thing that's interesting is that, like, this is, I mean, this is, this is, this is the essence of game design. You know, it's the, it's the design of the game communicating its own nature, or another way to put it is, like, its own depth to you. You know, it's, it's, it's. It's the game's job, and conversely, like the designer and the developer's job to uh, make the game that so that it communicates in, to you in a way where that communication is actually effective, right? But the thing is, is that you know, just like the other thing I was talking about, like people kind of seem to 
assume like an an equivalence of how effectively a game can communicate with you. Does that make sense? Let me let me let me clarify a little bit, right? Yeah, because I am confused. Let me let me look. like they'll say like, oh, this was hard or oh, this was easy, and they won't attribute any of the hardness or easiness to the game itself. People will kind of like either blame themselves or just say the game's hard or easy. Whereas, you know, the game, the game may or may not be hard, right? But the thing is like, if the game is really bad at communicating to you what something, how something works, if the game fails at that, then it's hard to you, right? And some people will just say, oh, that's a hard game, right? But in that case, it's not, no, it's not, oh, it's a hard game. It's, oh, no, this game is bad at teaching you the game, right? And games can be better and worse at teaching you what they are, right? People kind of just assume that just, like, the game is what it is, right? And, I mean, I guess in some ways, like, they just take it at face value, right? It's kind of like this, right? Here's an example. Uh, Here's an analogy. Like, um, you you ever talk to somebody... About, like, they're like, oh, I'm going to get a new car. I, I really want to get, like, a safer car, right? I mean, I, I've i talked about car safety, yes. Yeah, and, and you know, I like so-and-so talks about, like, oh, yeah, I want to get a safer car, you know, so I can be safe, you know? Um, the funny thing is, is that, like, studies show that, like, people drive more recklessly when they're in safer cars in order to compensate for the safety they feel. Nice. But But that's, that's, that's something kind of different, right? But, like... The thing is, is that like people kind of assume, not everybody, but these people who say these things like, oh, I want to get a safer car, they kind of have this assumption. I mean, tell me if you disagree, but they have this assumption that like, you know, no matter, really like no matter how they drive, there's just like a certain level of danger that's constant unless they're in a safer car. And so they'll actually be safer in this safer car versus, right, actually just adopting safe driving habits, which would probably result in a much higher degree of safety than just being in a car that's been deemed to be a safe car. Does that make sense? I'm not sure the point you're trying to make. That The point is is that like people people will like people ignore when they talk like that about cars, they ignore the fact that you make your own life safer or more dangerous based on how you drive, not based on what the car is. Yeah, it's well there's like const- there's a bunch of decisions or actions you can take in life yes towards a certain goal right but yes. they know of the one that involves buying something or they know how to you know they know one of the many potential solutions and so that's the one they dwell on uh, in in terms of game difficulty well here here the analogy is in like game designers can make a game better or worse at teaching itself to the player without compromising any of its depth in other words you can make the game a game that's deep, you can make it more accessible without sacrificing the depth. But a lot of people don't think that way. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, you mean when they just say it's difficult? Right. So instead of saying it's not hard, it just didn't teach me well? For example, you could, people will say it, this is a hard game in situations where, um, yeah, the game is hard, but it's hard not because it's like intrinsically difficult and you know what to do. It's hard because the game is like doing a really bad job of communicating itself to you, right? Where whereas you know if the game was maybe perhaps um, you know uh, developed a little more carefully, right? Yeah, like for instance, if, if I just told you, job. hey, you know, you can go sideways through those spikes. Yeah, yeah. Then suddenly it's way easier, right? But see, see, the other thing, right, that a lot of games do, which is like a mistake, is that they have like very very um, explicit ways of conveying this kind of information. Which is very jarring to the whole like, like tutorial fetish that we have these days. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, the tutorial. Like, let's tutorialize this. You know, like you're playing a part of the game that's not actually the game. It's telling you about the game, and of course, nobody wants to play that part, right? Well, and, Spelunky does that. It has a tutorial level. It does. Which I mean, but the thing is, like, it, it doesn't convey that about the spike in that tutorial level. Yeah. Well, it could. Spelunky's right? tutorial level is actually quite good because the tutorial level is just an easy level. Like, it doesn't interrupt your enjoyment of the game in order to teach you things right yeah. and th- that's really the best way to how to the best way to teach the player how to play is to put them in intrinsic situations where they're playing and, and they just naturally learn but the thing is that's hard to do 
So we'll be back. We're back, and we were talking about difficulty in games, and about how and accessibility and depth. Yeah, it's di- it's difficult to train a player without some really contrived methods. Well, see, see, sometimes. here's the thing: uh, it's 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 understandable that people kind of like react the way they do because most people aren't very introspective and analytical about why things happen, right? So when they start losing a lot, they just say, oh, it's hard. It's hard because I'm not progressing, right? And it is, right? But there's more to it, right? And so, like, people generally just either just tend to blame themselves or maybe they'll, they'll blame the game, right? But they won't really, like, think about, like, well, why is this so hard, right? And if the game is making something hard for you because it's obtuse and it's not communicating well to you, um, I mean, I think that that's just bad game design straight up, right? But people don't generally... Um, you know, ponder and analyze why enough to the point where they figure out, oh, well, you know, the game, the game, you know, if the game was better at communicating and if it did this instead of the other thing, right? And if the, you know, if the, if the spike graphic um, was shaped differently, you know, or maybe on the sides, there's like something else there about it that showed, that made it look like maybe you could just walk in from the side, right? People don't really think about things like that in that way, right? So that's it's kind of understandable that um, you know we don't people don't generally have the deep conversations like that. But at the same time, right? This is like the, one of the most important things I think about games because you don't. Um, oh man, I'm losing my train of thought. You know what I'm saying? I Save just keep th- I keep thinking about the spike and realizing they could have built it into the tor- tutorial very easily. And then I didn't know you could walk sideways through it until Tim showed us. Yeah, actually, right, one really, now that you just said that, one really nice intrinsic way to show that is you just give the player a situation where they have no choice to do anything but to walk into a spike from the side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right During the tor- tutorial, they could have just made it so that you, know, you only have like one sprite high area and you have yeah. to go through a spike. Exactly what I was thinking. Although, although on the other hand, with Spelunky, right, since you can blow up like any wall, like maybe that won't be the best thing because then like people were just going to try to bomb around it, right? They would, they might well, not even try and there, fight this. In spike. the tutorial level, there's a significant part where you don't have bombs, and so it teaches you a couple things. Fair enough, sir. Fair yeah. enough. So they could also do some, I don't know, some animation bit where they like make you sort of fly across the level opening it or in the level opening. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to think about how they could have done it. Yeah. They certainly could have done it. Here's the last angle I want to hit on this topic and then we'll move on. Um, there's also like people kind of like tend to um, think that there's this like – as far as like difficulty and like depth goes – oh my god, I just lost it. Forget it. Let's just move on. Okay. We got, uh, why don't we talk about Joe's uh, Joe's little inquiry? Okay. Yeah. That's good. And then after that, I want to talk about the newer tech USB outlet for like one minute because I I <laughs> promised myself that I would this week because I've been wanting to for like months. All right. Fair enough. Uh, so Joe writes us and he, he's asking um, me specifically. He says, how do you look at reviews for the games you've personally worked on? If so... When something they either praise or dislike in a game that you worked on, does it affect ya at all? He likes to say that instead of you. In any way, or does it not bother you at all? Um, and he goes on to describe like a situation, like he's explaining why he's asking because like you know some like newspaper did a story on like where he worked or used to work or whatever, and it was like totally wrong, and it made him upset, I guess, because. Anyway, I guess that's not that doesn't seem to be very important. But um, he's basically saying, 
when someone in a review talks about the specific stuff that you worked on in the game, how does it make you feel? Yeah, or the game in general, right? Um, so, I, I mean, I, I read every review that I can, that I can find, yeah, on games that I've worked should on. We, should we talk about the reviews that are happening for your game right now? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, um, I mean, yeah, I, re- I read every single one, and the the thing that... I think maybe Joe's looking for here in my answer is that um, you have to I, – I read reviews just like any other feedback or criticism about anything that I've ever done, right? And so, you know, we get we get feedback like this while we're working on a game. I get feedback like this in other parts of my life, right? And – I take I take any feedback I get one way or the other, whether it's for reviews or anything else in my life. Uh, I mean, I take it to heart, but at the same time, too, and you know, this is what's really important. You have to understand any feedback in the context that it's given. You know, if a four year old plays your game and they give feedback about it, right? You have to understand that this is the kind of thing that a four year old will say, right? And you have to interpret that and digest it as such. You know. If, like, some guy plays a game and he's, like, a hardcore, you know, and if he plays Epic Mickey and he's, like, a hardcore shooter fan, like, Call of Duty, right? I know that uh, his comments are going to be colored by his experiences and his background and what he prefers, right? And so, you know, it's important not to take any kind of feedback literally, but to take it in the context that it's presented, right? So knowing that guy's background, right? then I know whether I should take what he's saying seriously, right? Because he's like, oh, if he's upset that it's not Call of Duty, then obviously, right, I'm not going to give that comment that much consideration, right? Or actually, here's a really good example, right? So way back when, right, here's Red Star's coming up again. Um, There was – Red Star got really mixed reviews when it came out a long time ago. And um, this one review uh, just completely panned it. Uh, from all directions and it was mostly because this guy was not this red star thing the red star was originally a comic right a graphic novel and um, our game was based on the graphic novel and this guy was a big red star the graphic novel fan and he was very upset not because of our game being good or bad or what have you but because it didn't fulfill his expectations on what like a red star game should be that being that for him, a Red Star game should be about the story and the narrative. And we didn't make a narrative story type game. We made a straight up, you know, brawling and shooting action game with almost no story whatsoever. And he was so upset, right? But it was – I knew not to take pretty much anything he said seriously in his review because every single comment was colored under the – guys and context and expectation that um, I'm pissed off because this isn't the game that I thought it was it should be as opposed to and, and that's very unprofessional by the way right like games should be reviewed when they're reviewed by professional reviewers on their own terms and they should be looked at for what they are and they should be evaluated that way they shouldn't be evaluated based on like what the ga- what the reviewer thinks the game should have been about right so there's an example was he a professional reviewer? I thought he was just some guy. It was some guy for some press outlet, and so I'm going to call that a professional review. Okay. So. Gotcha. It was not very professional, but. <laughs> yeah, you've told me that story a couple times. I, uh, yeah, and, and I'm fascinated, funny... by the way, that that game was ever even made. Like, I don't know anyone who's ever heard of that comic book. Um, yeah, so, somehow yeah. that got commissioned to be yeah, made. Yeah, some people have heard of it. Um, I mean, but that that's another story, right? But, yeah, the thing is, I mean, right? The funny thing is is that reviews, a lot of professional reviews are very, very difficult to take seriously because the people writing them are just not diligent about their practice. And what I mean is that they do shit like what I just described, you know? Did, they, did you have the same sort of reaction to Cars? Uh, like, oh, it, it wasn't enough like the movie. <laughs> it should have stuck to the script more. It's it's funny because I actually I don't remember. Um, no, no, I don't think any reviews 
said that about <laughs> cars now. Okay. But yeah, you know, I mean different franchises have different uh, grades of fandom. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Okay, so do I do I have a minute now? Go ahead, sir. A minute. I think I might even have two. All right, so I have said in the past that if people want to send us free stuff, I will happily talk about it, but I will try to keep my honor and be be honest about this stuff. Now, a while ago, I got some emails like, hey, we got this thing. We'd love to send you. It's not totally video game-ish, but they sent it to me. I spent the time to install it, and so I thought I will mention it to be fair. So there's this product by a company called Newer Tech. They make a few things that sell on like OCZ's website. OCZ makes like hard drives and RAM and whatever for Macs usually. Uh, no, I'm sorry, OWC, not OZC. OZC actually makes hard drives. OWC sells stuff, other world computing or something, for Macs. Okay. And then they sell a bunch of other junk as well, including newer tech products. All right. And so it's a, a wall outlet. Like you actually install the wall outlet in your house to replace an existing one. Which means like you're messing with wiring and electricity and stuff in your house. Um, so it's a normal wall outlet, but it also has two USB outlets. I was really excited when I saw this thing on like Engadget years ago. I was like, that thing's really cool. So the product itself is a wall outlet. It is an actual wall outlet like you would buy at the hardware store. Okay. Uh, except it's way like thicker than, than a normal one. So mm-hmm. it actually is a total bitch to install. And so... Awesome. Um, only... I mean... I may have been putting it in an unusual installation because I put it in my kitchen island instead of in a wall. And uh, i got to say, very unhappy <laughs> with <laughs> with the installation. Now that it's there, it's cool. And, you know, it does what it's supposed to do. It has two USB things and two normal outlets. But uh, it's not flush with the wall. And so I need to point out that... This offends your Jewish sensibilities. has nothing to do with, <laughs> with being Jewish. Uh, <laughs> but it does affect... Like, it might actually not be to code for that reason, because, like, the, the cover for the wall outlet is supposed to, as far as I know, be flush with the wall. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I don't know building code. Because I put it in my island, and the box that is used on the island, which sticks out from the island ever so slightly, uh, the previous outlet was just fine. It was flush. This one is not. It is not clearly not designed for this application. So, FYI, if you have a place to put it uh, in a wall, go for it. If you're putting it in an island in a tiny little box... Uh, which is what I had in my island. Don't bother. You know what upsets me about USB? What? Why? Why did they decide to make a connector that was symmetrical in two dimensions, that actually can't fit in both possible yeah. directions? Yeah. No, it's not. It's who, not reversible. Who did this? Like, oh, we're gonna make this new connector. And it's gonna be the biggest standard in the world, and everything's gonna use it. We're gonna make a connector that. Why is it called universal? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm with you. I've broken a USB port before. What what is this thing? Where else are you going to find a master of science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. All right, we're back once again. Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Sponsored by UAT.edu. Website for the University of Advancing Technology. All right, so I got I got two uh, I got two things left here. Not about wall outlets. Neither of these are about wall outlets or my unending disdain for USB. I'm so happy I finally talked about that. 
<laughs> By the way, I've also been wanting to talk about Double Dragon Neon, which I played. Oh, you finally played it? Yeah. Didn't we it, talk about it once? Uh, I'm sure we talked about it. Yeah. It's it's pending release, but it uh, it's free for PlayStation Plus, or at least it was. I don't know if it still is. Oh, right. Um, by the way, free stuff on PlayStation Plus is just going crazy. Like, Bioshock 2 is going to be free starting tomorrow. Okay. I think. That's cool. I think I read that right. Yeah. Um, but I played Double Dragon Neon. All right. What did you think of it? I, I was I was actually su- surprised that I kind of liked it. But not because, like, the game is especially in-depth or anything. It's just funny. Yeah. It's just fun. Like, it was built to poke fun at old-school games like that. Yeah, in I kind of wish that you were there to play it with me. It's uh, and I, I don't know if it was if it had any input from people from like the Cartoon Network, but it totally feels like it was made by the Cartoon Network guys. You know, you know what's funny about that? Um, one of my friends who's an who's an artist that I greatly respect, um, he made an observation about this game. He said that it seems as though, um, None of the characters that were actually uh, created, like the enemy characters, for example, were designed to be seen from the side. And if you've gotten to as far as like a Bobo, you'll start to appreciate why. It's like it's like the it's like the animators who like animated all the characters like didn't know that they would just only be exclusively seen from the side, for the most part. You mean they they drew them from the front or the back, even though you really like when they I mean, animated it seems them. Like you're always looking at them sideways. Yeah, like I think they animated them like without like giving consideration to the fact that like well, when they're actually in the game, you just only see them from the side. Because if like watch a Bobo's animations, right? Because it's they're just really weird. Like you almost like never get to see like his head or whatever. Or like it's very very bizarre. Uh, so. That's as specific as I can get right I now. remember a Bobo in the real Double Dragon, but in this one, there's like a yeah. really, really large character, and yeah. I suspect that's the Bobo incarnation. Yeah. yeah. I didn't notice anything really weird about him. He's got really jacked animation, man. It's very strange. Like, his, just, his arms are like always in the way of like his head, and it's just really. Well, in playing awkward. it, I didn't notice it. But what I noticed was like, at one point, I didn't play all the way through, but at one point, you get to a boss character who, like, you're in a spaceship. And it's this green alien dude, and he's got, like, a sword. He kind of reminds me of Yoshimitsu. And he's got this really high voice, and he's just, like, berating you the whole time and making fun of you. And it's, it's I swear to God, it's right out of Cartoon Network and makes me feel like the bad guy in Kung Pao. Like, <laughs> I'm Betty. <laughs> that's, like it's, that's pretty, it's funny you mention that, actually, because I've, I've been fantasizing for a while about making a video game where, like, there's narration – but like the narrator is actually like just taunting you the whole time. Yeah, it's you should come over sometime and play this game just for a few minutes because it's just hilarious. Yeah, we'll do it, and then I'll show I'll, I'll show you the the thing that I said about the animation stuff. And once I point that out to you, then it's like you've it's like you've taken the the small part of the red pill. Okay, it's. <laughs> Anyway, I was surprisingly uh, happy with that game, even though I mean, like I said, wasn't exciting. Yeah, it was just hilarious. So, okay. Well, speaking of hilarious, and um, really, that's the incorrect word because this is actually hilariously disastrous. Um, there's a game making tool called Game Maker, right? And there's a free version of this, but there's also a pay version. But like, is this PC or PC? Or con- okay. Yeah. Game Maker, it's, it's there was like, like Fight Maker and stuff on the PlayStation. No, no, no. This right? is like a legitimate, like like you can export like an application out of it, right now. And it's it's okay. it's one of those tools. It's like basically like you know, if you're not a programmer, you can learn how to make games with Game Maker, you know. And it's actually like a lot of my friends I have like really like to use it for prototypes and stuff like that, um, because you can like get something going really quick without too much fuss. Um, but here's the thing about Game Maker, right? So Game Maker, if you have like a purchased version of it, right, not the free version. It has DRM in it, right? So a um, couple weekends ago, there was some kind of crazy glitch with the DRM, right? That uh, this DRM is like an always online kind of DRM, right? And so what it did was it decided that a whole bunch, maybe like all actually, like every single copy that was online at the time was, uh, was that was legitimate was actually not a legitimate copy, Right. And um, the company that makes uh, Game Maker, Yo-Yo, 
they uh, they decided, hey, you know what? This DRM we're going to make. Um, yeah, so when this DRM finds that a copy is pirated, it's going to take every single art asset in the project that's open and it's going to turn it into a skull and crossbones. And if you save the project at that point, all of your art assets that you've saved turn into skulls and crossbones permanently. It literally overwrites all the work that you did, all the source files turn into garbage skull and crossbones. And it did this to all of these legitimate developers who had purchased the product, paid for it, you know. Wow. That's and, that's a serious lawsuit. Yeah. And on top of this, right, um, in keeping with the spirit of DRM, um, people who had hacked versions, totally immune to this. Never a problem. Yeah, because it never actually uh, yeah. phoned home. I actually, I, I want to read a story really quick. There's this, uh, there's this independent developer called Mauricio Gomez, and um, he he related a story that I'm going to read real quick about what happened to him. Right. So he was like, um, he said like, oh, at one point I used Game Maker. Right. He he bought three licenses. He purchased the product for his team. He bought three licenses for some reason or another uh, on two computers. Um, it like it just refused to launch. Right. So you know what he did? Uh, he went to Google and he typed Game Maker Free. And uh, the first link was a pirate version. And he downloaded it. And he, he purchased the three copies, right? But then he just ran this pirated one um, because it was the only one he could get to work, right? Even though he has – he's paid for all of them, right? And then so he, he calls up Yo-Yo and he reports it to them, right, just to tell them what's up in the hopes of saying, hey, like – you know, there's something wrong here. Maybe you guys should fix this problem. And their reply is basically like, oh, you're a filthy pirate and you pirated our software. And so they deleted all of his support tickets. They um, they stealth banned him from all the forums after he complained there. And um, yeah, so anyway, needless to say, GameMakers lost yet another customer, right? But it just goes to show like this DRM stuff, like – I don't know why they would make a DRM like this, right? Like this DRM, like they deliberately programmed to make it destroy content. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could understand sort of why they would do that, but you well, should, here's the thing, you should though. never actually do it because there's just too much opportunity for you to yeah, screw you, it up. You only, yeah, you only do something like that when you're sure that every single time that part of your code takes effect, you are, it does it. To someone who deserves it, you know? Yeah. This is like – it's like it's like if someone's on death row, you better be sure that they're guilty. You know? It's not like maybe some of them are guilty and maybe not. It will just come out of the wash. The, this is funny and it's – I assume they're not an American company. I, I'm, I don't know actually. If they were, they would be totally rightfully sued. Yeah. And well, that would be awesome. Yeah, so um so thanks um you know companies the world over for basically encouraging everybody to pirate your stuff even more. Because it's it's funny that he actually doing. bought the licenses and then they still got mad at him. Yeah, and in fact, right, like it's this is not the only person who has uh told me that they do this. You know, there are a lot of people who will buy a product and then they'll use the pirated version um just because it's more convenient to do so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've done that before. Yeah. It's but cool. I'm I'm also sh- I'm pretty sure that's not illegal. Um, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't consider that illegal. Yeah, because you've, you've purchased it. Yeah, you've purchased you it. You have the it. license to use it. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you download it from the internet or you download it from the disc that you bought. Sure, sure. Or you download it from someone else's website. Yeah. Um. All right. I got one last thing, but um, you seem to be looking at some that's fast. no, no. Go right ahead. You got something. I got plenty too. Okay. Let's. You know what? I don't like what I got. Let's see what you got. Oh, it's nothing. It's nothing incredible. There's a bunch of little things. Like, um, I don't know if we talked about it on the show or not, but the LA Game Space that was kickstarted by my friend Adam Rabazzali. Oh yeah. So he used to actually live in Phoenix, moved out to LA, works for the Cartoon Network now. Um, that was successfully kickstarted. So okay. I actually texted him tonight before the show. I said, "Hey, congrats! I saw that you were." kickstarted that's awesome but kind of sucks for you because now you've got a lot of work on your plate you know i just heard about a kickstarter that lost by 28 dollars. yeah yeah it was something very small i was like wondering when something like this was going to happen because i never really like 
I never really got that whole rule about like if you don't hit your minimum, you get nothing. Like I did, never figured out why that was there. Well, I mean, I get it, but but by close, such a close margin, there should be some protection against that. It was a fifty thousand dollar Kickstarter that lost didn't make it by less than a hundred dollars. I don't yeah. remember the exact number, and I don't think it was twenty eight, like forty seven. Doesn't matter, small amount. Yeah. Um, but I think that's probably a good thing because if the people running the Kickstarter weren't aware enough to notice that and just kick in $28 themselves or whatever the amount was, then they probably weren't smart enough to pull off the project properly. You know what? It's hard to argue against that. But it was a game development thing, right? I I think so. I think it was related to Mule. M-U-L-E. Whatever that game was. Um, So sucks for them, and I'm sure they'll come up with uh, some sort of secondary solution where they run it their own Kickstarter-style thing. Maybe that's the plan. Why do they do that? Let it fail and then run it themselves with their own PayPal donations. (laughs) They wanted to fail. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Um, other stuff that's going on is, we, I don't quite understand what Nintendo's doing, but they made a Wii Mini for just a few dollars less than the Wii. Oh yeah, and no online. But exactly, no online. Although and people are th- reporting like, oh well, like the online hardware is like costs three dollars per unit or something. So yeah, it's not a lot, but also like you know the Wii has all this stuff like you can vote on things and you yeah. can the the me sharing and all that stuff. It's like. Sort of at the core of the OS. Right, right. There's, it doesn't do it well, but there are online components. The news thing and the weather, sure, all that sure. stuff is totally... So it's just a disc-based game machine. Yep. And for... And it's red. If, if it was hugely less expensive, I would get it. If it was like $20 cheaper, I don't understand. Um, got to eke out. There's a bunch of other stuff. Codemasters, you love them. They make grid. They, did you know they hired bloggers to actually design the achievements for Grid 2? Oh, yeah, whatever. We could probably talk a lot more about that. You don't like achievements anyway. Doesn't matter. We're at the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week. Feel free to email us at chatterboxgameshow.com. Good night, guys! You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.